for almost a year now, we have been studying letters from prison. The Apostle Paul wrote the congregations at Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and the individual Philemon in letters from prison. These letters were very important because they provided the congregations and individuals with direction and instruction with regards to the correct doctrine that each of them were to preach and teach and also provided some very important directions for practical Christian living. And now this morning we are at our final lesson of the book of Colossians. Lord willing, we will have one more lesson in the series. Next Sunday we will simply look at the book of Philemon. But as we look at this last part, I want to begin by asking a question as we have for each of these lessons. Are there things about which you are very passionate? I want you to think about the things in your life that really mean a lot to you. The kind of things that if somebody comes up and starts speaking with you, will begin to gravitate toward this topic. This will be the subject that you want to talk about. For some of you, it will be sports. It will be your favorite team. You may be talking about the weather, but the next thing you know, you're talking about UT football. Or you may be talking about your favorite baseball team or something else. For other people, it will be their family. For most of us, we want to talk about our grandkids. We want to talk about what's going on in their lives and What's important to them? It may be your career. It may be the things that you have been pursuing in your life. And after a while, everybody wants to talk about what it is that they are facing in their lives. Well, you see, as you get to the end of the book of Colossians, there's a whole lot more there than just personal comments about these personalities. It's not as if Paul was saying to the various ones, well, say hi to the children for me. It's not even as if Paul is somehow saying, I want you to say hi to this one, this one, and this one. There's a whole lot more about it because this represents some people with passion. People about whom they had a great amount of concern And it was that which motivated and drove them in life. And so what I want us to do is to look at two things in our lesson this morning. I always try to use the letters that help me remember, so you may not always like the uh, way I put it, but I'm going to call them ten tremendous troopers. These are ten people whose lives were outstanding. And then I want to take the synthesis or the uh, distilling down of that to look at some characteristics of courageous Christians. The kind of things that you and I can take away with us to make us better people. Let's begin first of all with these ten tremendous troopers here. The church is composed of many people with various backgrounds but with a common goal. You see, the church is not just one unique personality. There's people from various backgrounds. Some of you were reared in rural areas. You know about growing up on the farm. 
Some of you were reared in cities, and that's the life that you know. Some of you in here were forced by whatever situation in life, maybe not even to be able to graduate from high school. And we have several people here who have earned doctorates. You see, in a congregation even like this, there's a lot of diversity with background, but yet we still have a common goal. I'd suggest to you that's what you see in the latter part of Colossians 4 as well. Notice as Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body are being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Paul is trying to deal with the fact that there's many personalities, many talents within a congregation, and in this case, many miraculous gifts. But he wants us to realize we're still one in our focus and our purpose. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, in one of the other letters we studied, in chapter 4, verse 16, he said, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now here's the key phrase. Causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What Paul is focusing on, the fact is, we all bring our unique aspects, but we're all focused on bringing about the growth of the church. So let's look at these ten soldiers of the cross, the various aspects of what Paul says about them. The first one is going to be Tychicus, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at these folks and what they do. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of, in the Lord, will tell you the news about me. I am sending to him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. You think about the role that this man has. He is the bearer. That is, he's the person who took the letters to Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae, and to Philemon. In fact, he was the one that Paul often chose. Listen to Ephesians 6, verse 21. But that you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make known or make all these things known to you. He's the guy who's going to come and say, Yes, Paul's in prison. Yes, Paul's endured a lot of difficulty. But here's what's going on with him. And here's the letter that he sent to you. But you know, the truth is, Tychicus was the kind of man that Paul could place a lot of confidence in, that he could be an envoy for him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. In Titus 3, verse 12, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. When you think about people about whom Paul could have that confidence, 
This is a man that stands out. Paul's in Rome. Tychicus is going to have to sail around the Peloponnese or the southern part of Greece or maybe perhaps cross there at Corinth. Make his journey north into Macedonia to go to Philippi. Then very likely he is going to have to board a ship and go from Philippi down to Ephesus, deliver the letter there. From Ephesus, then he will make a journey about a hundred miles inland to Colossae. This is a man who has a major job to do and a major distance to go. Now if you look with me at verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things happening here. You see a little additional aspect. Onesimus is going with Tychicus. But who is Onesimus? He is a slave belonging to Philemon. When we study that book next week, we'll study about Onesimus a little bit, but I want you to notice he's a slave. But Paul refers to him as a faithful and beloved brother. He's no longer a slave. He's now a brother in the Lord. But he was begotten while he was... Well, with Paul in change. Listen to Philemon, verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains. Onesimus must have run away from Philemon. And he wanted to get a long way away. And so he goes all the way to Rome. While he's there, though, he comes in contact with Paul, who's in prison. And now Onesimus is going back no longer as a slave or just as a slave, but now as a brother in the Lord. Paul said, who is one of you, which means he's likely from the city of Colossae or perhaps even from that region. Now I want to move to the third guy, Aristarchus. Look with me at the first part of verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Most of you would probably think, well, that's just Aristarchus. That's all we know about him. But notice Paul says he's my fellow prisoner. He's not like Onesimus. He's not like Tychicus who can just get up and be sent on a journey. He's also being held in chains just like Paul is. That's not the only time Aristarchus has had to suffer. He is a Macedonian. You'll go with me to Acts 20, verse 4. There Luke records, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus, Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Now, you see Aristarchus is from Thessalonica. That's one of the cities of Macedonia. And again, you say, well, he's Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica. What's so special about that? Back up with me to Acts chapter 19. Let's look at verses 28 through 30. You remember Paul spent two and a half years at Ephesus. He had taught all Asia the word of the Lord. While he was there in Ephesus, there was this great temple to Diana or Artemis there. Everybody would come from the surrounding areas to worship there in that temple of Artemis. There were many people who had made little 
gods in the shape of this idol, Artemis. Demetrius, a silversmith, heard Paul teaching that they are not gods made with hands. And so he stirred up everybody. He got all those who were of the like trade stirred up. And what happens is there's a great chaos and turmoil in the city. And notice Acts chapter 19, verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, Great is Diana the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. And having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. I think you can figure out why they didn't want Paul to go in. This theater that seats 25,000 people is in an uproar. Everybody is screaming at the top of their lungs. Paul wants to go in. But there's already two people there. Gaius and Aristarchus. He's Paul's fellow prisoner. He knows what it means to suffer, to be a child of God and to be a preacher of the gospel. Latter part of verse 10, let's look at Mark. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. That may give you some insight into why he was chosen to go with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. If you'll remember in Acts 13 and verse 1, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for a work whereunto I have called them. And John Mark goes with them. But if you know a little bit more about Mark, or as you read in Acts, John Mark, he grew up in his service to the Lord. In Acts 13 and verse 13, while they're on that first missionary journey, Luke records, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Why did John go back home? Was he homesick? Was he fearful of the hardness of the work that was in front of him? Was it just his youthful mistakes that he makes? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. All I know is John didn't go to the work. In Acts 15, after that great Jerusalem council meeting, Paul and Barnabas want to go back. And Luke records, and then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city and where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had gone from them or had not gone with them to the work. The, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And Bar so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. You see, Paul didn't believe this young man had the wherewithal to do the work. Barnabas saw some potential in him. And later on, when you read further, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. 
for he is useful to me for the ministry. John Mark made a person of talent and ability. Now let's go to verse 11. Justice. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, Justice, as we see here, his name is also Jesus, which is the same as Joshua, meaning Savior or Deliverer. Justice was a Jew helping Gentiles. It's remarkable that people of one race were able to set aside all of the prejudice with which they had been reared from a child to set that aside and then go to people of another race and show compassion and concern for their souls. It's very difficult for those of us who live in the 21st century to appreciate the depth of his service. The closest thing that many of us can identify with is what perhaps happened a generation ago in our country with regards to black and white folks. Sometimes the prejudice still exists, but nothing like it did a generation ago. And as people like Justice go, they're willing like John Mark, to preach and teach to people of a different race because they care about their souls. And Paul says, he was a comfort to me. I find some words always really interesting. The word comfort is the word paragoria, from which the word paragoric comes from. And for those of you who remember people with a stomach ache, you can know what comfort paragoric used to bring to people. That's the word here for the comfort that he brought to Paul. Now let's take verses 12 and 13, the verses that Brother Dale read for us. Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear in witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. He's a fellow prisoner. You remember Aristarchus? Here Ephesus is a prisoner as well. Maybe he would have been the right one to go back and carry the letter to Colossae, but he's a fellow prisoner. I learned that from Philemon verse 23. Epaphras my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you. He can't go because he's in prison. You know, when you read these letters, you're going through and you're saying, you mean these guys are really in chains? Yes. They're incarcerated because of what they teach. He is also the teacher of the Colossians. If you'll remember when we studied the book earlier, we noticed that Paul had not seen the Colossians to face. We learn from Colossians 1, 6 through 8, 
As Paul speaks about the gospel, he says, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and bringing forth fruit as it is among you since the day that you heard it and knew of the grace of God, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister on your behalf, who also has declared to us your love in Christ. You see, Paul learned a lot about Colossae from Epaphras, who is a fellow prisoner with him. He said he's one of you. That means he's one of the Colossians. But what remarkable thing you see about him. He says he prayed fervently. Prayed fervently. I would dare say that there are times in most of our lives that we say our prayers. We thank God for the food we have, the clothes we wear. We ask God for the blessings we enjoy. And then there are times when our prayers are very fervent because it's about something really passionate to us. Something we really care about. Do you realize... Epaphras really cared about the Colossians. He also cared about the Laodiceans. He cared about the people of Heropolis. That's where he came from, that little tri-city area there. Then Luke, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He's a traveling companion of Paul. He wrote the books of Luke and Acts. And as you read those, you see that how he traveled from place to place with Paul and these other men. He is here also sending greetings. And Paul refers to him as a beloved physician. That had to be a lot of comfort to have somebody traveling with you that you know that can uh, give you some help when you have some ailments. But Luke's primary calling now is no longer a physician of the body, but a physician of the soul. We know about Luke that he is the one who stood with Paul all the way to the end. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Paul is at the desperation of death in 2 Timothy. And he's wanting somebody to be with him. And he says, I've only got Luke with me. The latter part of verse 14 again, he says, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Most of you probably know about Demas. But he, like Luke, was a fellow worker. Philemon verse 24, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, they worked together. But he became fascinated by the world and all that it has to offer. How many of you have seen people who at one time would get up and read Scripture? Say a beautiful prayer. Maybe even teach a Bible class. And are now no longer walking with the Lord. I could probably name you at least five people here that used to be faithful members here. I'm talking about people who would participate in the worship services, teach Bible classes. 
that I have no idea what they're doing this morning, but they're not assembling with the saints. Sometimes as Demas, Paul said, he's forsaken me having loved this present world. Some people let the devil deceive them into thinking that they have something to offer. Nephthys, verses 14 and 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nephthys in the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and likewise you read the epistle from Laodicea. The scholars have a difficult time determining whether Nephthys is Nephthys male or Nephthys female. Most of them end up coming away saying, since all the rest of these are men, it's likely that he is a man. But it's very difficult to determine. But it really doesn't matter. It's a Christian man or a Christian woman in Laodicea. But what is significant is they hosted a church in their home. You know, today if someone says, I'm going to go to Mount Leo, or I'm going to go to East End, or I'm going to go to West Riverside, we tend to think, I'm going to go to a building. They didn't think like that in the first century because they didn't have church buildings. They met in people's homes. There was a church met in the home of Philemon. There's a church meets in Memphis' home here in Laodicea. Verse 17. Archippus, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. He is most likely a Colossian who is in Philemon's house. You know, there's a church meeting in Philemon's house. And Philemon verse 2 says, to the beloved Athea, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Now, he was to fulfill his ministry. What would that mean? Well, Paul tells Timothy the same thing in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. God's given you a job to do, Timothy. Do it. Was he the preacher there in Philemon's house? I don't know. But he had a ministry to do. He had a service to render. And he tells him to do it. It took a little longer to do that than I anticipated. But let me very quickly distill down for you some what I think are some characteristics of courageous Christians. Number one is being a beloved brother loving your brethren, loving the Lord's church. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17 says, love the brotherhood. There's one thing that comes out of these prison epistles, and that is the church is one body, and we are to love one another. And we call beloved we are called beloved brethren. Number two, to several of them, Paul refers to as a faithful minister. Not only does that describe loyalty, but it describes how well they do their job. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. He does a job. And in Luke 16, verses 10 and 11, he says, If one is faithful in little, he will be faithful in much. If he's unfaithful in little, he'll be unfaithful in much. You see, it's a characteristic of a person that they're faithful to it. Number three is a concern for the churches. When Paul is recounting his sufferings for the faith in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, he says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches... Colossians 2.1, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. You know, I don't have to be able to go all the way around the world to have a love for and appreciation of my brethren. I need to pray for them. I need to be concerned about what happens to them. And we need to pray fervently for the Lord's church. But then the thing that I observe as well among these ten is sacrificial service. I think about Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica. But he's with Paul in Rome. He left his family. He left everything that was comfortable to him for an uncomfortable life of preaching the gospel. Let me just give you a couple of references. Acts 15. So it seemed good to us being assembled together with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who put their life on the line. In Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who have risked their own necks for my life. Folks, let me tell you something. These are passionate people because they're willing to put everything on the line for the good of the Lord's church. When you see people like that, there's a lot to be learned. Paul said in Romans 4.18, this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Remember what this is all about. Congregations are not strong because of what they have, but who they are. We each have a place in this congregation. We have roles to fulfill. We have jobs to do. We need to be serious about it. We need to be intense about it. In fact, we need to be passionate people for the Lord. And these churches here in this Tri-Cities area, they were energetic in the serving of God. And Paul was writing to praise them and to encourage them. And then I end with a question. Are you ready to begin your service? If you'll open your song books to the Song of Invitation, it's very possible here that we have folks who've been waiting to become New Testament Christians. 
You've been thinking about this for some time. And it really just depends upon you and your decision this morning to make a commitment to say, I want to be one of those Christians. I want to be one of those passionate people. It may be that you're here as a Christian. You've looked at your life and you've evaluated it and you realized the truth is I'm not walking with the Lord like I ought to. This past Wednesday evening there was three people who looked at their lives and by the influence of a passionate person they said I need to make a change. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?